Chapter Thirteen of Queechy by Susan Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen. Chapter Thirteen: The Fairy Peeps into an English House, but does not stay there. There, the most dainty paradise on ground, itself doth offer to his sober eye, the painted flowers, the trees upshooting high the dales for shade the hills for breathing space the trembling groves the crystal running by and that which all fairy works doth most a grace the art which all that wrought appeared in no place fairy queen they had taken ship for london as mr and mrs carleton wished to visit home for a day or two before going on to paris so leaving charlton to carry news of them to the french capital so soon as he could persuade himself to leave the english one they with little fleda in company posted down to carleton in blankshire it was a time of great delight to fleda that is as soon as mr carleton had made her feel at home in england and somehow he had contrived to do that and to scatter some clouds of remembrance that seemed to gather about her before they had reached the end of their first day's journey to be out of the ship was itself a comfort and to be alone with kind friends was much more with great joy fleda put her cousin charlton and mr thorne at once out of sight and out of mind and gave herself with even more than her usual happy readiness to everything the way and the end of the way had for her those days were to be painted days in fleda's memory she thought carlton was a very odd place that is the house not the village which went by the same name if the manner of her two companions had not been such as to put her entirely at her ease she would have felt strange and shy as it was she felt half afraid of losing herself in the house to fleda's unaccustomed eyes it was a labyrinth of halls and staircases set with the most unaccountable number and variety of rooms old and new quaint and comfortable gloomy and magnificent some with stern old-fashioned massiveness of style and garniture others absolutely bewitching to fleda's eyes and understanding in the rich beauty and luxuriousness of their arrangements mr carleton's own particular haunts were of these his private room the little library as it was called the library and the music-room which was indeed rather a gallery of fine arts so many treasures of arts were gathered there to an older and nice judging person these rooms would have given no slight indications of their owner's mind it had been at work on every corner of them no particular fashion had been followed in anything nor any model consulted but that which fancy had built to the mind's order the wealth of years had drawn together an enormous assemblage of matters great and small every one of which was fitted either to excite fancy or suggest thought or to satisfy the eye by its nice adaptation and if pride had had the ordering of them all these might have been but a costly museum a literary alphabet that its possessor could not put together an ungainly confession of ignorance on the part of the intellect that could do nothing with this rich heap of material but pride was not the genius of the place a most refined taste and curious fastidiousness had arranged and harmonized all the heterogeneous items 
the mental hieroglyphics had been ordered by one to whom the reading of them was no mystery nothing struck a stranger at first entering except the very rich effect and faultless air of the whole and perhaps the delicious facilities for every kind of intellectual cultivation which appeared on every hand facilities which it must be allowed do seem in general not to facilitate the work they are meant to speed in this case however it was different the mind that wanted them bad brought them together to satisfy its own craving these rooms were guy's peculiar domain in other parts of the house where his mother reigned conjointly with him their joint tastes had struck out another style of adornment which might be called a style of superb elegance not superb alone for taste had not permitted so heavy a characteristic to be predominant not merely elegant for the fineness of all the details would warrant an ampler word a larger part of the house than both these together had been left as generations past had left it in various stages of refinement comfort and comeliness it was a day or two before fleda found out that it was all one she thought at first that it was a collection of several houses that had somehow inexplicably sat down there with their backs to each other it was so straggling and irregular a pile of building covering so much ground and looking so very unlike the different parts to each other one portion was quite old the other parts ranged variously between the present and the far past after she once understood this it was a piece of delicious wonderment and musing and great admiration to fleda she never grew weary of wandering round it and thinking about it for from a child fanciful meditation was one of her delights within doors she best liked mr carleton's favourite rooms their rich colouring and moderated light and endless stores of beauty and curiosity made them a place of fascination out of doors she found still more to delight her morning noon and night she might be seen near the house gazing taking in pictures of natural beauty which were for ever after to hang in fleda's memory as standards of excellence in that sort nature's hand had been very kind to the place moulding the ground in beautiful style art had made happy use of the advantage thus given her and now what appeared was neither art nor nature but a perfection that can only spring from the hands of both fleda's eyes were bewitched she stood watching the rolling slopes of green turf so soft and lovely and the magnificent trees that had kept their ground for ages and seen generations rise and fall before their growing strength and grandeur they were scattered here and there on the lawn and further back stood on the heights and stretched along the ridges of the undulating ground the outposts of a wood of the same growth still beyond them how do you like it elfie mr carleton asked her the evening of the first day as he saw her for a length of time looking out gravely and intently from before the hall door i think it is beautiful said fleda the ground is a great deal smoother here than it was at home i'll take you to ride to-morrow said he smiling and show you rough ground enough as you did when we came from montpool said fleda rather eagerly would you like that yes very much if you would like it mr carleton very well said he so it shall be and not a day passed during their short stay that he did not give her one of those rides he showed her rough ground according to his promise 
but Fleda still thought it did not look much like the mountains at home, and indeed unsightly roughness had been skilfully covered or removed, and though a large part of the park, which was a very extensive one, was wildly broken and had apparently been left as nature left it, the hand of taste had been there, and many an unsuspected touch, instead of hindering, had heightened both the wild and the beautiful character. Landscape gardening had long been a great hobby of its owner. "'How far does your ground come, Mr. Carleton?' inquired Fleda on one of these rides when they had travelled a good distance from home. "'Further than you can see, Elfie.' "'Further than I can see? It must be a very large farm.' "'This is not a farm where we are now,' said he. "'Did you mean that? This is the park.' We are almost at the edge of it on this side. "'What is the difference between a farm and a park?' said Fleda. "'The grounds of a farm are tilled for profit. A park is an uncultivated enclosure, kept merely for men and women, and deer to take pleasure in.' "'I have taken a good deal of pleasure in it,' said Fleda. "'And have you a farm besides, Mr. Carleton?' "'A good many, Elfie.' Fleda looked surprised, and then remarked, that it must be very nice to have such a beautiful piece of ground, just for pleasure. She enjoyed it to the full during the few days she was there. And one thing more, the grand piano in the music-room. The first evening of their arrival she was drawn by the far-off sounds, and Mrs. Carleton, seeing it, went immediately to the music-room with her. The room had no light, except from the moonbeams that stole in through the two glass doors which opened upon a particular private and cherished part of the grounds, in summer-time full of flowers, for in the very refinement of luxury delights had been crowded about this favourite apartment. Mr. Carleton was at the instrument playing. Fleda sat down quietly in one corner and listened. In a rapture of pleasure she had hardly ever known from any like source. She did not think it could be greater— till after a time, in a pause of the music, Mrs. Carleton asked her son to sing a particular ballad, and that one was followed by two or three more. Fleda left her corner, she could not contain herself, and favoured by the darkness came forward and stood quite near, and if the performer had not bad light to see by, he would have been gratified with the tribute paid to his power by the unfeigned tears that ran down her cheeks. This pleasure was also repeated from evening to evening. "'Do you know we set off for Paris to-morrow?' said Mrs. Carleton, the last evening of their stay, as Fleda came up to the door after a prolonged ramble in the park, leaving Mr. Carleton with one or two gardeners at a little distance. "'Yes,' said Fleda, with a sigh that was more than half audible. "'Are you sorry?' said Mrs. Carleton, smiling. "'I cannot be glad,' said Fleda, giving a sober look over the lawn. "'Then you like Carleton?' "'Very much. It is a prettier place than Queechy.' "'But we shall have you here again, dear Fleda,' said Mrs. Carleton, restraining her smile at this, to her, very moderate compliment. "'Perhaps not,' said Fleda quietly. "'Mr. Carleton said,' she added a minute after, with more animation, "'that a park was a place for men and women and deer to take pleasure in.' I am sure it is for children, too. Did you have a pleasant ride this morning? Oh, very, I always do. There isn't anything I like so well. What, as to ride on horseback with Guy? said Mrs. Carleton, looking exceedingly benignant. Yes, unless, 
"'Unless what, my dear Fleda?' "'Unless, perhaps, I don't know. "'I was going to say unless, perhaps, to hear him sing.' Mrs. Carleton's delight was unequivocally expressed, and she promised Fleda that she should have both rides and songs there in plenty another time. A promise upon which Fleda built no trust at all. The short journey to Pans was soon made. The next morning, Mrs. Carleton, making an excuse of her fatigue, left Guy to end the care he had rather taken upon himself, by delivering his little charge into the hands of her friends. So they drove to the Hotel Blank, Rue Blank, where Mr. Rossiter had apartments in very handsome style. They found him alone in the saloon. "'Ah, Carleton, come back again. Just in time. Very glad to see you. And who is this? Ah, another little daughter for Aunt Lucy.' Mr. Rossiter, who gave them this greeting very cordially, was rather a fine-looking man, decidedly agreeable both in person and manner. Fleda was pleasantly disappointed, after what her grandfather had led her to expect. There might be something of sternness in his expression. People gave him credit for a peremptory, not to say imperious, temper, but, if truly, it could not often meet with opposition. The sense and gentlemanly character which marked his face and bearing had an air of smooth politeness which seemed habitual. There was no want of kindness, nor even of tenderness in the way he drew Fleda within his arm and held her there, while he went on talking to Mr. Carleton, now and then stooping his face to look in at her bonnet and kiss her, which was his only welcome. He said nothing to her after his first question. He was too busy talking to Guy. He seemed to have a great deal to tell him. There was this for him to see, and that for him to hear, and charming news which had been done, or doing, since Mr. Carleton left Paris. The impression upon Fleda's mind, after listening a while, was that the French capital was a great gallery of the fine arts, with a magnified likeness of Mr. Carleton's music-room at one end of it. She thought her uncle must be most extraordinarily fond of pictures and works of art in general, and must have a great love for seeing company and hearing people sing. This latter taste Fleda was disposed to allow might be a very reasonable one. Mr. Carleton, she observed, seemed much more cool on the whole subject. But meanwhile, where was Aunt Lucy? And had Mr. Rossiter forgotten the little armful that he held so fast and so perseveringly? No, for here was another kiss, and another look into her face, so kind that Fleda gave him a piece of her heart from that time. "'Hugh,' said Mr. Rossiter, suddenly to somebody she had not seen before. "'Hugh, here's your little cousin. Take her off to your mother.' A child came forward at this bidding, hardly larger than herself. He was a slender, graceful little figure, with nothing of the boy in his face or manner, delicate as a girl, and with something almost melancholy in the gentle sweetness of his countenance. Fleda's confidence was given to it on the instant, which had not been the case with anything in her uncle, and she yielded without reluctance the hand he took to obey his father's command. Before two steps had been taken, however, she suddenly broke away from him, and springing to Mr. Carleton's side, silently laid her hand in his. She made no answer whatever to a light, word or two of kindness that he spoke just for her ear. She listened with downcast eyes and a lip that he saw was too unsteady to be trusted, and then after a moment more, without looking, 
pulled away her hand and followed her cousin. Hugh did not at once get a sight of her face on the way to his mother's rooms, but owing to her exceeding efforts and quiet generalship, he never guessed the cause. There was nothing in her face to raise suspicion when he reached the door, and opening it, announced her with, "'Mother, here's cousin Fleda come.' Fleda had seen her aunt before, though several years back, and not long enough to get acquainted with her. But no matter, it was her mother's sister sitting there, whose face gave her so lovely a welcome at that speech of Hugh's, whose arms were stretched out so eagerly towards her, and springing to them, as to a very haven of rest, Fleda wept on her bosom those delicious tears that are only shed where the heart is at home. And even before they were dried, the ties were knit that bound her to her new sphere. "'Who came with you, dear Fleda?' said Mrs. Rossiter then. "'Is Mrs. Carleton here? I must go and thank her for bringing you to me.' "'Mr. Carleton is here,' said Hugh. "'I must go and thank him, then. Jump down, dear Fleda. I'll be back in a minute.' Fleda got off her lap, and stood looking in a kind of enchanted maze, while her aunt hastily arranged her hair at the glass. Looking, while fancy and memory were making strong the net in which her heart was caught, she was trying to see something of her mother in one who had shared her blood and her affection so nearly. A miniature of that mother was left to Fleda, and she had studied it till she could hardly persuade herself that she had not some recollection of the original, and now she thought she caught a precious shadow of something like it in her Aunt Lucy. Not in those pretty bright eyes which had looked through kind tears so lovingly upon her, but in the graceful ringlets about the temples, the delicate contour of the face, and a something, Fleda could only have said it was a something, about the mouth when at rest. The shadow of her mother's image rejoiced her heart. Rather that faint shadow of the loved lost one for little Fleda than any other form or combination of beauty on earth. As she stood fascinated, watching the movements of her aunt's light figure, Fleda drew a long breath with which went off the whole burden of doubt and anxiety that had lain upon her mind ever since the journey began. She had not known it was there, but she felt it go. Yet even when that sigh of relief was breathed, and while fancy and feeling were weaving their rich embroidery into the very tissue of Fleda's happiness, most persons would have seen merely that the child looked very sober, and have thought probably that she felt very tired and strange. Perhaps Mrs. Rossiter thought so, for again tenderly kissing her before she left the room, she told Hugh to take off her things and make her feel at home. Hugh, upon this, made Fleda sit down, and proceeded to untie her tippet-strings and take off her coat with an air of delicate tenderness which showed he had great pleasure in his task and which made fleda take a good deal of pleasure in it too are you tired cousin fleda said he gently no said fleda oh no charlton said you were tired on board ship i wasn't tired said fleda in not a little surprise i liked it very much then maybe i mistook I know Charlton said he was tired, and I thought he said you were too. You know my brother Charlton, don't you? Yes. Are you glad to come to Paris? I am glad now, said Fleda. I wasn't glad before. I am very glad, said Hugh. I think you will like it. We didn't know you were coming till two or three days ago when Charlton got here. Do you like to take walks? 
"'Yes, very much. "'Father and mother will take us delightful walks in the Tuileries, "'the gardens, you know, and the Champs-Élysées, and Versailles, "'and the boulevards, and ever so many places, "'and it will be a great deal pleasanter now you are here. "'Do you know French?' "'No. "'Then you'll have to learn. "'I'll help you if you will let me. "'It is very easy. "'Did you get my last letter?' "'I don't know,' said Fleda. "'The last one I had came with one of Aunt Lucy's, "'telling me about Mrs. Carleton. "'I got it just before—' "'Alas, before what?' "'Fleda suddenly remembered, and was stopped short. "'From all the strange scenes and interests "'which lately had whirled her along, "'her spirit leapt back with strong yearning recollection "'to her old home and her old ties, "'and such a rain of tears witnessed the dearness—' of what she had lost in the tenderness of the memory that had let them slip for a moment, that Hugh was as much distressed as startled. With great tenderness and touching delicacy he tried to soothe her, and at the same time, though guessing to find out what was the matter, lest he should make a mistake. "'Just before what?' he said, laying his hand caressingly on his little cousin's shoulder. "'Don't grieve so, dear Fleda.' "'It was only—' "'Just before Grandpa died,' said Fleda. "'Hugh had known of that before, though, like her, he had forgotten it for a moment. "'A little while his feeling was too strong to permit any further attempt at condolence. "'But as he saw Fleda grow quiet, he took courage to speak again. "'Was he a good man?' he asked softly. "'Oh, yes.' "'Then,' said Hugh, "'you know he is happy now, Fleda.' If he loved Jesus Christ, he is gone to be with him. That ought to make you glad as well as sorry. Fleda looked up, though tears were streaming yet, to give that full happy answer of the eye that no words could do. This was consolation and sympathy. The two children had a perfect understanding of each other from that time forward, a fellowship that never knew a break nor a weakening. Mrs. Rossiter found on her return that hugh had obeyed her charge to the letter he had made fleda feel at home they were sitting close together hugh's hand affectionately clasping hers and he was holding forth on some subject with a gracious politeness that many of his elders might have copied while fleda listened and assented with entire satisfaction the rest of the morning she passed in her aunt's arms drinking draughts of pleasure from those dear bright eyes taking in the balm of gentleness words of love and soft kisses every one of which was felt at the bottom of fleda's heart and the pleasure of talking over her young sorrows with one who could feel them all and answer with tears as well as words of sympathy and hugh stood by the while looking at his little orphan cousin as if she might have dropped from the clouds into his mother's lap a rare jewel or delicate flower but much more delicate and precious than they or any other possible gift. Hugh and Fleda dined alone, for as he informed her, his father never would have children at the dinner-table when he had company, and Mr. and Mrs. Carleton and other people were to be there to-day. Fleda made no remark on the subject, by word or look, but she thought, none the less, she thought it was a very mean fashion. She not come to the table when strangers were there? And who would enjoy them more? When Mr. Rossiter and Mr. Carleton had dined with her grandfather, had she not taken as much pleasure in their society, and in the whole thing, as any other one of the party? 
and at Carleton had she not several times dined with a tableful, and been unspeakably amused to watch the different manners and characteristics of people who were strange to her. However, Mr. Rossiter had other notions. So she and Hugh had their dinner in Aunt Lucy's dressing-room, by themselves, and a very nice dinner it was, Fleda thought. And Rosaline, Mrs. Rossiter's French maid, was well affected and took admirable care of them. Indeed, before the close of the day, Rosaline privately informed her mistress, Quel serait dont été charmant du se don fondo toicheville, and que son regard vraiment lui serait lucard. And Hugh was excellent company, failing all other, and did the honours of the table with the utmost thoughtfulness, and amused Fleda the whole time with accounts of Paris, and what they would do, and what she would see, and how his sister Marian was at school at a convent, and what kind of a place a convent was, and how he himself always stayed at home, and learned of his mother and his father, or by himself, he said, just as it happened, and he hoped they would keep Fleda at home too. So Fleda hoped exceedingly, but this stern rule about the dining had made her feel a little shy of her uncle. She thought, perhaps, he was not kind and indulgent to children like her Aunt Lucy, and if he said she must go to a convent, she would not dare to ask him to let her stay. The next time she saw him, however, she was obliged to change her opinion again, in part, for he was very kind and indulgent, both to her and Hugh, and more than that he was very amusing. He showed her pictures, and told her new and interesting things, and finding that she listened eagerly, he seemed pleased to prolong her pleasure, even at the expense of a good deal of his own time. Mr. Rossiter was a man of cultivated mind, and very refined and fastidious taste. He lived for the pleasures of art and literature, and the society where these are valued. For this, and not without some secret love of display, he lived in Paris, not extravagant in his pleasures, nor silly in his ostentation, but leading, like a gentleman, as worthy and rational a life as a man can lead who lives only to himself, with no further thought than to enjoy the passing hours. Mr. Rossiter enjoyed them elegantly, and for a man of the world, moderately, bestowing however few of those precious hours upon his children. It was his maxim that they should be kept out of the way whenever their presence might by any chance interfere with the amusements of their elders, and this maxim, a good one certainly in some hands, was in his reading of it a very broad one. Still, when he did take time to give his family, he was a delightful companion to those of them who could understand him. If they showed no taste for sensible pleasure, he had no patience with them, nor desire of their company. Report had done him no wrong in giving him a stern temper, but this almost never came out in actual exercise. Fleda knew it only from an occasional hint now and then, and by her childish intuitive reading of the lines it had drawn round the mouth and brow. It had no disagreeable bearing on his everyday life and manner, and the quiet fact probably served but to heighten the love and reverence in which his family held him very high. Mr. Rossiter did once moot the question whether Fleda should not join Marian at her convent, but his wife looked very grave and said that she was too tender and delicate a little thing to be trusted to the hands of strangers. Hugh pleaded and argued that she might share all his lessons, and Fleda's own face pleaded more powerfully. There was something appealing in its extreme delicacy, 
and purity, which seemed to call for shelter and protection from every rough breath of the world. And Mr. Rossiter was easily persuaded to let her remain in the stronghold of home. Hugh had never quitted it. Neither father nor mother ever thought of such a thing. He was the cherished idol of the whole family, always a delicate child, always blameless in life and behavior, his loveliness of mind and person, his affectionateness, the winning sweetness that was about him like a halo, and the slight tenure by which they seemed to hold him, had wrought to bind the hearts of father and mother to this child, as it were, with the very life-strings of both. Not his mother was more gentle with Hugh than his much sterner father, and now little Fleda, sharing somewhat of Hugh's peculiar claims upon their tenderness, and adding another of her own, was admitted, not to the same place in their hearts, that could not be, but to their honour be it spoken, to the same place in all outward show of thoughts and feeling. Hugh had nothing that Fleda did not have, even to the time, care, and caresses of his parents. And not Hugh rendered them a more faithful return of devoted affection. Once made easy on the question of school, which was never seriously stirred again, Fleda's life became very happy. It was easy to make her happy. Affection and sympathy would have done it almost anywhere. But in Paris she had much more, and after time had softened the sorrow she brought with her. No bird ever found existence less of a burden, nor sang more light-heartedly along its life. In her aunt she had all but the name of a mother. In her uncle, with kindness and affection, she had amusement, interest, and improvement. In Hugh, everything. Love, confidence, sympathy, society, help, their tastes, opinions, pursuits, went hand in hand. The two children were always together. Fleda's spirits were brighter than Hugh's, and her intellectual taste stronger and more universal. That might be as much from difference of physical as of mental constitution. Hugh's temperament led him somewhat to melancholy, and to those studies and pleasures which best sighed with subdued feeling and delicate nerves. Fleda's nervous system was of the finest, too, but, in short, she was as like a bird as possible. Perfect health, which yet a slight thing, was enough to shake to the foundation. Joyous spirits, which a look could quell. Happy energies, which a harsh hand might easily crush forever. Well for little Fleda that so tender a plant was permitted to unfold in so nicely tempered an atmosphere. A cold wind would soon have killed it. Besides all this, there were charming studies to be gone through every day with Hugh, some for Aunt Lucy to hear, some for masters and mistresses. There were amusing walks in the boulevards, and delicious pleasure taking in the gardens of Paris, and a new world of people and manners, and things and histories for the little American. And despite her early rustic experience, Fleda had from nature an indefeasible taste for the elegancies of life. It suited her well to see all about her, in dress, in furniture, in various appliances, as commodious and tasteful as wealth and refinement could contrive it. And she very soon knew what was right in each kind. There were now and then most gleeful excursions in the environs of Paris, when she and Hugh found in earth and air a world of delights, more than they could tell anybody but each other. And at home, what peaceful times they two had, what endless conversations, discussions, schemes, air journeys of memory and fancy, backward and forward, what sociable dinners alone, 
and delightful evenings with Mr. and Mrs. Rossiter in the saloon, when nobody, or only a very few people, were there. How pleasantly those evenings the foundations were laid of a strong and enduring love for the works of art, painted, sculpted, or engraven, what a multitude of curious and excellent bits of knowledge Fleda's ears picked up from the talk of different people. They were capital ears, what they caught, they never let fall. In the course of the year her gleanings amounted to more than many another person's harvest. End of chapter 13